0: The Fun Factory, written and read by Chris England. Chapter 3 Oh, Mr. Porter. My father. He was looking directly at me. I was wearing his clothes and his hat and a parody of his paunch, and the better part of the population of the college, which was his whole world, was laughing at me. At him. All this I spotted in the blink of an eye. I was able to register the sudden sight of him, digest it, consider its implications, set it aside for later, even as the laughter rolled on. The power did this for me. I seemed to be operating at a different speed to the rest of the world, like the man in the H.G. Wells story whose trousers catch fire. And then it was over. Browse was bounding out onto the stage again, leading applause for me, and I walked off slowly, carefully remaining in character, already wanting to do it again— "'and wondering how I was going to explain myself. "'Well done,' Mr Luscombe was saying. "'Didn't I tell you? You were a sensation!' "'Others clapped me on the back, wanting to share in my triumph. "'That clog-dancing fellow trod on my foot with his big wooden boot, "'but I hardly noticed. "'What was I going to say to my father? "'I should have known. Nothing got past the old spider.' I slipped out through the library and out of the side door into the cool night air, leaving another group of bright young things to warble on about, punting to Granchester or some such, and I stood with my back against the ancient stonework for a moment to gather my thoughts. Lance lurched round the corner and immediately spotted me. Now then, Arthur, before you say anything, I never let on, he said as he trotted over, his hands raised defensively in front of himself. Of course not, I sighed. "'I never, I swear,' he protested, detecting the sarcasm in my voice. "'He heard the rumpus and came over to see for himself what was going on. "'It had the ghastly ring of truth about it, I had to admit. "'That I should be on stage pretending to be my father, "'berating the audience for not making enough noise, "'thus inspiring them to make more noise, "'and that that noise should then have been what brought him over "'to see what was happening, "'well, it was one of those naturally occurring moments "'of perfect comic irony that you can't make up.' "'I grunted, letting the lump off the hook.' He wants to see you, Lance said, grimacing in an unusual moment of fraternal sympathy. I shrugged and set off over to the lodge, the condemned man, to take my punishment without hearty breakfast. I shoved open the heavy old door slowly, setting the ancient hinges squealing. For once, though, my father wasn't standing at the ready behind the counter, alerted by his early warning system. Hello? His voice came from the back. Come through. I nipped behind the counter and into his little back room, which was as snug and warm as a toasted muffin. There was a fire going in the grate, and my father was sitting in his old comfy chair, his father's before him. He waved me over to a stool opposite, and I sat there with my hands on my knees for long, agonising moments, waiting for the thunderstorm to strike. I was wondering where my second-best waistcoat had got to. Sorry, I said. He looked me up and down as though seeing me for the first time. I didn't know what to do to break the tension, so I I took his bowler hat from my head and handed it over to him. He nodded, took it from me, and set it on the small table at his side. Would you like me to do the late rounds tonight? I said, finally, unable to stand it any longer. I would appreciate that, Arthur. Thank you. More oddly appraising silence followed, and then I ventured. I'm sorry if seeing what I did this evening was embarrassing for you. I I didn't mean... My sentence tailed off, and he completed it for me. For me to see you at it. I know, I know. Well, I've got two things to say to you, Arthur Dando, and I sincerely hope you'll pay attention to them. Here it comes, I thought, bracing myself. When I saw you up there on the stage tonight, well, I don't mind telling you, I got the shock of my life, I did. I saw you up there, dressed like me, speaking my words in my voice, and heard all the gentlemen in there laughing and cheering, and do you know what I thought to myself? Do you? He wasn't raising his voice. In fact, he was frighteningly calm. And I'll tell you what I was thinking to myself. I was thinking, this is the angriest I've ever, ever seen him. Even more angry than when Lance left and joined the army without telling anyone. Um, no? I thought to myself, well, Dando, here's a nice thing. Look at them all, laughing at you, laughing at your funny little ways. What does this all mean, I wonder? He looked me right in the eye. I'll tell you what it means, my lad. It means they like me. They really like me. Eh? Oh, yes. It means I, George Dando, am more than just a college employee, the senior college employee. I'm beyond that now. Oh, yes. Way beyond. I'm a college institution. He beamed. "'And you know what else I thought?' he went on. "'I thought to myself, look there, Dando, there's your son. "'He's had none of what all these other men have had, "'none of the privileges, none of the advantages. "'And look at him, he's as good as every last one of them. "'Better even, they're hanging on every word he says.' "'I was stunned, staggered. "'Good luck to your son. You showed him, eh? "'Oh, yes, you showed him all. Well done. I'm proud of you. I mean it.' "'He leaned over, took my hand and pumped it enthusiastically, "'a warm smile spreading across his face.' Now come on, look lively, off with that waistcoat and whatever else you've stuffed under there, you cheeky beggar. Here he patted his tummy, more jovial than I'd ever seen him. And then round to the old reader, some of these gentlemen will need sending on their way if they're not to be locked out of their own colleges. A couple of minutes later, I was outside in the night air once again, shaking my head at my father's reaction. I'd lampooned him in front of everybody, and he'd loved it. Well, he could have taken the proverbial feather and rendered me more or less horizontal with it. The smoking concert was over by the time I reached the old reader, and it had dissolved into a loud and raucous drinking party. If anything, there was even more smoke than before, and you could see it swirling and drifting by the gas jets on the wall. "'Excuse me, uh, gentlemen, could I have your attention?' I bellowed at the top of my voice. "'The front gate will be closing in ten minutes. Those of you from other colleges should be on your way now.' It was as if I was invisible. The power clearly did not extend to the delivery of mere factual information.' I gave up on them. After all, if they wanted to risk the wrath of the Proctor's Bulldogs, it was no business of mine. I stepped off the chair and took down one of the long poles to open the top windows, thinking to let out some of the smoke. I was reaching up to the first window when Mr Luscombe rushed over and grabbed my arm. For goodness sake, put that down, he hissed. "'I was just letting in some air,' I protested, "'but he was already hustling me briskly through the crowd. "'I know, I know, but there's someone I want you to meet, "'and it would be better if he didn't know you really were a porter. (laughs) "'You see the fellow in the striped blazer?' I did. "'Well, that's the rotter. "'The rotter from the Footlights Club. "'You mean the one who stole your trousers?' "'Exactly so.' "'I drew myself up to my full height.' I see, sir. Uh, What do you want me to do? Do you want me to sling him out of the gates on his backside? No, 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 no! Luscombe urgently grabbed my arm again to hold me back. He was in tonight. He saw the smoker and he wants to talk to you, to me, to us. Come on! Harry Rottenberg, the rotter, was the president of the Footlights Club. And although I didn't know it at that moment, he was the university's leading theatrical celebrity. He was holding court at the far side of the room, surrounded by a dozen or more acolytes gazing at him worshipfully over the rims of their champagne glasses. The rotter was somewhat older than his courtiers, having been a student himself some ten years earlier, and he now was a senior member of the university's engineering department. His nickname was rather misleading, as rotting, or being a rotter, was undergraduate slang at that time for joking or sending someone up. Luscombe dragged me over, and we hovered at his elbow waiting for him to draw breath, which he did presently. ''Mr. Luscombe, there you are. I congratulate you, sir. An excellent turn.'' Luscombe beamed. Praise from the rotter was praise indeed. The rotter was a burly figure with broad shoulders and a square face that looked like it had been knocked about a bit. If his speciality on stage, that is, was playing female roles, then they must have been exclusively female characters who had played rugby union for Scotland, as he himself had. ''And I apologise for the hijinks with your clothing last time we met. I sent a man round to your rooms with the items. I trust they arrived safely?'' "'Oh, yes, thank you,' gushed Luscombe. "'And there's no need for apologies, really. "'Excellent rotting.' (laughs) "'Well, there we are. "'And this is your man, is it?' "'Dando,' Luscombe put in before I could speak for myself. "'This is Dando, yes. "'Excellent chap.' "'I congratulate you too, Mr Dando. "'Most entertaining.' "'The rotter offered his hand and I took it. "'A huge, meaty fist it was too. "'Here's the jest. he went on. "'I'm putting together a show at the New Theatre. "'It's practically written, "'and I dare say we'll be able to find something for the two of you. "'What do you say?' I was dumbstruck. Luscombe looked as though he had died and gone to heaven. "'I'd be deli... "'That's to say, we'd be delighted, wouldn't we, Dando?' "'Yes, indeed we would,' Luscombe jabbered. "'And before I could say a word on my own account, it was all arranged, "'and the rotter swept grandly out of the old reader with his retinue in his wake. "'Luscombe was quite beside himself with glee. "'Did you hear? "'We're to be in a footlights show. "'How absolutely ballet splendid!' i was sorry to bring him down to earth, "'because surely it was impossible for me, "'a mere college servant, to take part. "'Ah, no, because I told Browse to tell the rotter, "'you were my manservant, my my gentleman's gentleman, Do you see, "'and they would have no problem with that. "'It would be perfectly fine. "'It was all I could think of at the time. "'It was all rather sprung on me, "'and I wasn't sure whether he liked you or me. But, "'But if you're my man, you see, "'he can't have one of us without the other. "'So it fits the bill rather splendidly, doesn't it?' "'Well, whether it did or it didn't, "'I'd felt the intoxicating thrill of the power. "'I wanted more.' And whatever it took, I was going to make it happen. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Chapter 4. The Varsity B.C. In the event, rather than try to pull the wool over my father's eyes, I decided to come clean right away, well, the next day, and tell him about the conversation with the rotter. "'Remarkably, it turned out that he was quite happy "'to accommodate my absence in the evenings "'as long as I was prepared to make up the hours late at night, "'more late rounds, and early in the mornings. "'The crucial factor, I think, "'was that Mr Luscombe had decided to describe me "'as his gentleman's gentleman. "'There were few ways in which a college servant "'could hope to improve himself, "'other than graduating to a head porter.' but being taken into private service by a wealthy gentleman when he left the college was certainly one of them. And so shortly thereafter, Mr. Luscombe and I found ourselves taking part in Mr. Harry Rottenberg's newest venture, a production called The Varsity BC. There was a busy hum about the university at that time. You couldn't miss it, even if you were only serving the port at high table. The chatter was all about dinosaurs and fossil bones, which somehow proved that giant lizards had once ruled the earth. Back then, in Oort 7, these bones were being discovered all the time. Some of the finest minds in Cambridge were absorbed in the business of connecting these prehistoric monsters with animals that still lived on the planet, hoping to shed light on some of the murkier corners of the theory of evolution. Others, like the rotter, were thinking along different lines, such as, I say, wouldn't it be an absolutely spiffing lark to make a model of a brontosaurus and have it eat a chap? So while on one side of town, the archaeologists and anthropologists pored over ancient ribs and bits of spine, on the other, the engineering department were devising a complicated system of wires and pulleys, weights and counterweights, that would allow the rotter to climax his new show with a full-size moving brontosaurus, its head and neck at any rate, with room in its mouth for a human snack. And who do you think was in line to be lizard lunch? That's right. Yours truly. The conceit of the show, as you can probably guess from the title, was to depict Cambridge in prehistoric times. Rival groups of cavemen from rival caves would compete in a variety of activities which aped, rotted, I should say, college life, with the whole scheme enlivened by the appearance of the mechanical dinosaur. Mr Luscombe and I had relatively small parts to play as cavemen from St Botolph's Cave. I was caveman four, and I'm pretty sure that Luscombe was caveman three. There was a deal of standing around in animal skins and numerous scenes in which 20 or more of us were running around trying to bop one another on the head with papier-mâché clubs. Caveman 4's moment in the sun came near the end. It turned out, wouldn't you know it, that I'd been secretly working to further the interests of the Trinity Cave and I got my comeuppance when I was devoured by the Brontosaurus. One evening, the company were just finishing a run-through in the club's private rooms, which were above Carling's sale rooms near the Corn Exchange, and I was busy dispensing whiskies and waters when Browse burst in, mopping his face. "'I say, you chaps, I have some frightful news,' he cried. "'Whatever is it?' the rotter said, steering him to a chair, while I ghosted alongside, manservant-like, stiff drink at hand. "'A fellow on my staircase is writing a thesis,' a collective shudder went through the company at the very thought of this, "'about... "'Well, about good old Bronte, actually.' "'No,' someone gasped. "'Yes, I assure you.' "'So I told him, in strictest confidence, of course, "'about the climax to our show. "'I thought he, of all people, might be amused, "'but do you know what he said?' "'Go on,' the rotter said, upper lip stiff as an ironing board. "'He said to me, he said, "'Browse, you priceless ass, "'don't you know that the brontosaur was herbivorous?' "'After a moment Rottenberg smiled and snorted, relieved. "'My dear chap, so we got the name wrong.' "'We'll just call her Herbie instead. Problem solved!' "'No, no, no. Herbivorous. It only ate plants. "'It couldn't possibly eat a chap. The whole ending's ruined!' There was a grim silence. The rotter shook his head slowly from side to side, much like Bronte herself. Did I mention, by the way, that Bronte was female? She had to be, do you see, because of a truly awful line in the closing number about her being one of the Bronte sisters. "'I'll have to give this some thought.' the rotter declared suddenly, then strode urgently out of the theatre. "'Some serious thought!' Next evening we all gathered again, desperately worried that the whole show had been fatally undermined. Cigarettes were smoked, carpets were paced, everyone was convinced that the show was done for, but we reckoned without the never-say-die spirit of our president. He burst in with a big grin on his face, flourishing a drawing he himself had done. "'I've added a small scene. Solves the whole thing!' "'The chap, do you see, Dando here, has to spy on the other cavemen to find out what they're up to. "'Do you follow me? So he dresses himself up as a tree. "'Ergo, dear Bronte can chomp him up with a clear conscience. Voila!' "'A resounding cheer went up at this elegant solution, "'and I doubt whether the man who discovered the actual Brontosaurus ever had a claim to match it. "'And as fellows like the Rotter and Browse and Lord Peter Bradshaw "'thumped me genially on the back, "'it really felt like we were all in this great enterprise together, as equals.' As the opening night approached, however, I began to wonder just how equal we all were. Because when the two technicians from the engineering department, Rottenberg's assistants, Mr. Ernest and Mr. Kenyon, began supervising the installation of the monster, it became dazzlingly clear to me that the reason why I, of all people, had been selected to be Caveman 4 was that being eaten by the mechanical dinosaur was actually going to be pretty bloody dangerous. The beast weighed a ton for a start. It consisted of a solid wooden framework, strong enough to hold three men inside, covered with canvas which was painted to look like the giant reptile's skin. Then there were, I don't know how many, seven, eight huge blocks with pulleys on, any one of which could have killed a man on its own if it came loose and fell on him, not to mention the further tons of scaffolding which Mr Ernest was reckoning on using to attach the whole contraption to the ceiling. As the man who'd be standing on the spot marked with an X... I quickly saw that if the slightest thing went wrong, I was the one for the chop. The only way they could make a victim, me, disappear whole into Bronte's mouth was by positioning Mr. Ernest inside the neck to haul me in bodily, with Mr. Kenyon further up holding on to Ernest's ankles. No fewer than eight others were concealed in the wings, yanking on ropes, pulling levers, throwing sandbags on and off, and they just couldn't seem to get it right.' I was watching from the wings with my heart in my mouth the first time they tried to lower the head to the stage and smashed the chair they were using for target practice into matchwood. On another occasion, the neck started careering up and down uncontrollably. The stagehands were trying to grab hold of a counterweight which would have brought Bronte under control, but it kept bobbing out of their reach. Finally, three of them caught the creature's head as it smashed heavily onto the stage for the umpteenth time, and Mr. Ernest and Mr. Kenyon slithered shakily out onto the floor. "'Most invigorating,' Mr. Ernest said, an idiotic grin on his face. "'Finally, well after midnight on the day before the opening performance, Bronte was deemed safe enough to attempt to eat me. "'I said a line and a silent prayer, and the monster's head came down. "'My leaf-covered torso disappeared into its jaws, "'Mr. Ernest grasped my arms, and we all swung up into the flies. Despite the triumphant cheers and whistles from the rest of the company, I had a strong suspicion that my first appearance on the stage could easily turn out to be my last. Come the opening night, the new theatre was packed to the rafters with students and local townsfolk, all drawn by the Rotter's proclamation that this was to be the first time a great dinosaur had been portrayed on the live stage anywhere in the world. Mr Luscombe and I peeked out through a small gap in the curtain, at the crowd milling about, finding their seats. "'I say!' "'Luscombe hissed. Did you hear?' "'Hear what, sir?' I whispered. "'Word is that some big noise from London has come up on the train, "'specially to see Bronte in action.' "'What sort of big noise?' "'Oh, our director has contacts, you know, in the London theatre. "'Shh, here he comes.' "'The rotter shoved his big, square, rugger pug face in between ours "'and surveyed the scene. "'Full house. Good luck, gentlemen, which is to say, confounded, bad luck. "'Break a leg, I mean. Break all your legs.' "'He shoveled us ahead of him into the wings "'and gave Mr. Ernest the signal to begin. "'The curtain rose, and we were off. "'The show itself trundled along agreeably enough to begin with. "'The rotter stomped around backstage "'as his small army of cavemen galloped on and off "'for the various scenes and musical numbers. "'Every now and then there would be an unexpectedly big laugh, "'and he would note down what had provoked it on his script "'with a scrawled tick. "'Then he would resume his nervous pacing, "'occasionally pausing to give a silent pat of encouragement "'to someone with a huge paw.' Although the audience were enjoying themselves, there was a palpable air of anticipation about the place. Everyone was waiting to see this much-vaunted Brontosaurus. The rotter himself was pacing nervously, sometimes reaching up to twang one of the control ropes above our heads. Finally, towards the end of the evening, it was the moment. A flurry of hushed activity suddenly bustled around the contraption. Mr. Ernest and Mr. Kenyon wriggled into its neck. The ropes were pulled taut, and the eight stagehands took the strain. I hadn't time to watch any more, because I had to be on stage. Trinity Cave were having a secret powwow, discussing their plans for the big contest on the morrow. Suddenly they noticed that a small shrub was inching towards them, as if to hear better. In a trite I was exposed. I stood up and I delivered my line, my only line of the show. "'I did what I did for the sake of the cave, the dear old cave!' Bronte let out a terrifying roar, which is to say a stagehand called Nicholas bellowed into a barrel. This was the cue for everyone else in the scene to scarper, except me. One or two ladies in the audience let out an excited shriek of anticipation. And nothing happened. I glanced over and saw the rotter frantically lashing one of the ropes backwards and forwards. It seemed to have snagged in its pulley high up in the ceiling. The rotter waved desperately at me to fill and booted young Nicholas up the backside. Bronte promptly let out another, slightly aggrieved, dinosaurific roar. I remembered something I'd heard, and for want of anything better to say, decided to impart it to the audience. Uh ''Uh-oh, that sounds like it might be a brontosaurus, you know,'' I said, putting on my best scared face. ''Those of you who have been keeping up with your studies will know that the name brontosaurus means Thunder Lizard. So named, I'm told, for its terrifying roar.'' Nick obligingly let loose with another blood-curdling bass bellow, and the audience looked expectantly over to the side of the stage. I could see what they couldn't, though, that the rotter was still trying to free the snagged rope.'' "'Although,' I said, and watched the eyes snap back to me, "'since its diet was in fact exclusively vegetarian, "'some of our finest scientists now believe the thunder may have emanated from the other end entirely.' "'The laugh I provoked with this line washed over me like a breaker, "'and I felt the tingle of the power once again. "'I could see the white dress shirts and black dinner jackets stretching to the back of the stalls, "'and the browns and greys and blues of the folk in the upper circle.' I heard the rotter give a stifled cry of triumph and realised that the rope must be free, but I wasn't ready to be eaten just yet. I stepped forwards off my mark and down towards the footlights. I spent the morning hunting, don't you know, I found myself saying. Not terribly successful, I'm afraid. I was trying to bag a very tricky kind of dinosaur. The ran-off-as-soon-as-he-saw-us. Huge laugh. I watched it, waited for it, bathed in it. "'What you don't want, though,' I went on, when the moment was just right, "'is to come across one of those fearsome predatory dinosaurs, "'something like the, he's got it in for us!' "'Another good laugh.' "'Suddenly Bronte uttered the most bone-chilling roar. "'I glanced to my left and saw that the rotter, his face purple with rage, "'had grabbed Nicholas's barrel and was howling all his frustration into it. "'I quickly reckoned maybe I had pushed my luck far enough "'and skipped back to my spot, quaking with pretend terror.' Ooh! went the audience now as Bronte's massive head lowered itself slowly from the flies and one or two clip-claps of applause broke out. Ra went the rotter. The jaws slid neatly over my head and shoulders and I reached up to grab Mr. Ernest's clammy hands. "'Run off as soon as he saw us. That's a good one,' he was chuckling to himself. The great contraption swung into the air. I could hear the muffled sound of the audience's applause, suitably impressed. Then suddenly... "'Twang!' Something snapped, something gave, and the head, having moments before disappeared triumphantly into the sky, now hurtled down and smashed into the floor. The audience, startled and unsure as to whether this latest development was intentional, half laughed, half screamed. I was thrown out, regurgitated as it were, and rolled halfway across the stage. Without my weight in it, the dinosaur's head lurched up again and banged into the metal walkway, which was masked from the audience's view by the tab.' "'In the wings, the rotter was furiously waving me to my feet, "'clearly intent that Bronte should eat me once again. "'I turned to the audience. "'I told you she was a vegetarian,' I said. "'Down came the head once more. "'Again I grasped Ernest's hands, he not so cheery now, in fact rather pale, "'and we bounced upwards. "'We made it four or five feet off the floor before slamming violently down again.' After a moment we could feel the whole frame shuddering as though someone were jumping up and down on top of us and then all at once a great rattling, rustling, bumpity-bumping on the canvas right above our heads and it all stopped. The audience were laughing hysterically now at something. I peered down at the small portion of the brightly lit stage that I could see at my feet and was astonished to see the rotter sitting there in decidedly unprehistorical costume holding his head and moaning. Evidently he'd been bouncing on the top end of the creature trying to provide enough counterweights to lift us clear and had slip-slided all the way down the neck, ending up in a heap in full view of everyone. Suddenly there was an ominous creaking from above, followed by a snapping, and then a whole mass of wood and painted canvas and rope and pulleys crashed to the ground and splintered around us. The audience hooted with glee. Mr Kenyon crawled out of the wreckage over towards the orchestra pit and then vomited copiously over the kettle drums. Curtain! the rotter moaned in a tiny voice, clutching the area of his kidneys, Curtain, damn it all! The audience, leaving the new theatre that night, were thoroughly satisfied. The script had been funny, the songs agreeable, and then everything had fallen spectacularly to pieces at the death. What could be better? The next best thing always to an absolute smash hit is a notable catastrophe. The rotter and his engineering cohorts set about rebuilding and repairing their pride and joy almost at once, and I was dispatched up to the theatre bar to fetch drinks for everyone. I had just finished loading a dozen scotch and waters onto a tray when I heard a sarcastic little cough from behind me. (coughs) That's a powerful thirst you've got there, young fellow, said a voice with a thick sort of accent I couldn't quite place. I turned to grin at the speaker, who was a dapper little chap in a sharp suit and very shiny shoes. Yes, sir, and I'll be back for another dozen in a minute. Excuse me. When I returned a few minutes later, the bar was empty, except for this gentleman who was perched on a stool and it seemed was waiting for me. I slipped behind the bar and began pouring out more drinks. "'You were in show just, weren't you?' the man said, narrowing his eyes at me appraisingly. "'Yes, sir, I was. "'You were lad in young creature's mouth, were you not?' "Uh, "'Yes, sir, that's right.' "'Now then, that big red-faced fella, tumbling down the neck and ending up scratching his head in the middle of the stage. "'I'm right, aren't I? That weren't meant to happen.' Ah, no. Pity. That were best bit.' I'd filled my tray again by this time, so I smiled an end to the conversation and excused myself, but my companion hadn't finished. "'You know, I came all the way up from London to see that beast. "'Thought it might be something I could use.' I realised then that this chap must be one of the rotter's theatre contacts, one of the men he was hoping to impress. "'It's very clever, really, how it works, and it was fine in rehearsals. "'I'm sure Mr Rottenberg could explain better than I what happened. "'I'll run down and fetch him.' The man held up his hand and said firmly, "'No, don't fuss yourself. It's not for me.' "'No, laddo, it's you I wanted to speak to. "'Now I'm watching you running up and down carting drinks, "'and I'm thinking you're not one of these gentleman-student types. "'I'm right again, aren't I?' "'You are, sir,' I said sheepishly. "'So what are you? Servant of some sort?' "'I work for one of the colleges, yes, sir. "'General dog's body work, portering and so on.' "'I see. Well, now listen to me. "'I saw how you handled yourself on the stage tonight "'when that what's-it fouled up, "'and I'm telling you straight that I liked what I saw.' "'Now, I'm not saying I'm never wrong, "'but I will say it hasn't happened above once or twice "'since I've been in this business.' "'I started to grin at this, but he didn't, "'so I quickly reined my grin in. "'If you ever decide that you want more "'than general dog's body work, portering and so on, "'you come and see me. You got me?' "'He handed me his card and shook me by the hand. "'I didn't know what to say quite, so I said, "'Thank you, Mr... Westcott, Frederick Westcott.' "'Then he popped his hat on his head "'and looked me up and down in a solemn fashion.' "'When you know me better, you'll know I don't say this lightly,' he said. "'But you've got it, young fellow, my lad.' "'What?' I said. "'It!' "'And he turned on his heel and left. "'I looked at the card he'd given me, "'and the name Westcott wasn't anywhere to be seen. "'The inscription read, "'Fred Carnot, Master of Mirth and Mayhem, "'The Fun Factory, 26-28 to Vaughan Road, Camberwell, London, SE5. "'I didn't know it then, but my life had just changed forever.'